yeah, probably two years after I retired, everything kind of came crashing down. I was, um, I was drinking loads. I was doing lots of drugs and I was in a, in a really dark place. So I, I took him up on it and that coffee changed my life and just bursting into tears. And I just had this complete visceral reaction of like, fuck, I, this is what I need to do. Often the thing we want is already inside us. It's just been obscured by ourselves, by stories, by stuff people said when we were growing up. I mean, I, I work with a therapist to work through my own trauma. I guess it's, yeah, again, it comes to that question of would you rather be happy or would you rather make a bit more money? Hey, I hope you're keeping well. I'm Brian Moylet, former rugby player, now mindset and performance coach. And welcome to the pod. This podcast is about well-being and high performance. And in it, you will learn how you can be happier, more fulfilled and more successful. I recently wrote the book on how to become a pro rugby player, forward by Robbie Henshaw, which went to number one in the charts. And you can get this now on Amazon and Audible with the links in the show notes. Please connect me now over on social media at Brian Moylet and at Offfield Rugby. If you enjoyed the pod, please subscribe to it, leave a rating and review wherever you're listening now. And also, you can send it on to some friends. Would really appreciate that. All right, we'll get into today's episode. Cheers. Today I'm joined with joined by Sam Smith, former rugby player, played seven to eight times with Quinns, two years at Worcester and had to retire pretty early, around 26. Cheers for jumping on, Sam. No, thanks for having me, Brian. I'm really looking forward to it. So I'm sure we'll circle back to rugby at some point, but we connected on LinkedIn a couple of months ago, and I thought it was really cool. You put up a couple of posts about your journey after rugby. So maybe chat to me about that, what that was like. Yeah, so I... I find myself talking a lot about my post rugby journey, way more than my actual rugby journey nowadays. Um, and yeah, as you mentioned, I had to retire when I was 26. So I tore my quad when I was 25 in a preseason match for Worcester. And then I spent the sort of next nine, 10 months rehabbing that. I kept re tearing it. So I ended up with a 15 centimeter tear down the middle of my quad and I was a winger. So the kind of effect of my speed, as you can imagine. And that's what I had as a rugby player was my speed and finishing. And so I had that operated on and unfortunately I couldn't get back to that same sort of top, top high end speed. And so I had to call it, call it quits. Like I said, when I was 26 and I had such a long time off that I was kind of going a bit stir crazy. The nature of my injury meant I was out of the club by sort of eight, nine in the morning. And I had the rest of the day just to, sit in my own thoughts and stew and so I then started looking into what could I do alongside rugby and the idea to start a coffee shop came into my head which was basically just off the back of a YouTube passion so it wasn't grounded in a lot of knowledge or understanding but I thought I'd have a look at look at it and um, I guess the more serious my injury got the more serious I got about start, starting and opening a coffee, coffee shop so I signed the lease for my first one in April 2016, retired in July 2016, and then opened the coffee shop in October 2016. So it was quite rapid fire from sort of rugby player to coffee shop owner. 
Yeah, and how was that then transitioning over? Um, I'd say probably messy at best and total car crash at worst <laughs> in terms of I got so sort of wrapped up in, in opening the shop and running a business that I think I used it as a way of not having to face up to the fact that I wasn't playing rugby anymore. And I just really threw myself into that. I was renovating the shop sort of 14, 15 hours a day. And then I was in the shop working 14, 15 hours a day. And so it, it meant I wasn't ever sort of allowing myself to just be still and just sort of allow myself to just actually acknowledge the fact that I'd stopped playing. And I was able to keep that up for a couple of years. And then, yeah, probably two years after I retired, everything kind of came crashing down. I was... Um, I was drinking loads. I was doing lots of drugs and I was in a, in a really dark place if I'm completely honest. And I've spoken about this a fair, a fair bit because I think it's important for people to share stories like this so that other people who will inevitably going through the same can maybe feel a bit less alone. And yeah, it, it was really tough and it was just getting, everything was kind of getting worse for me. I was, the business was getting better, but I was getting worse because I was just either working drunk or high probably is a pretty easy way of explaining where my life was at that point. And then I'm so grateful that I had a, a regular customer who was a life coach and he'd been coming to the shop since we opened. And I always say that I think he probably saw the steady decline of me over that two year period. And one day he just came up to me in the shop and put his hand on my shoulder and said, should we go for a coffee? And I did what I always did, which is laugh it off and shrug and be like, I'm fine, I'm fine. And he's like, no, Sam, let's just go for a coffee. And so I, I took him up on it and that coffee changed my life because I then started working with him. And it was the first time since I'd retired where I'd asked for help. And I had someone who was in my corner who showed me love and compassion, which in time allowed me to show that to myself. Hmm. Yeah. And what kind of, what kind of stuff did you work with him on? I think initially he just, I think he just held space for me and listened, which allowed me to just talk and process and work things out. I, I hadn't allowed myself that space to even start to think about how I was feeling or acknowledge it. I just gone straight to the various distraction techniques that I'd mentioned earlier, because I guess it was too painful for me to sit with those emotions and those feelings and those thoughts. And so, yeah, initially it was really just someone who's slightly removed from my life, who was able to just listen and ask the right question at the right time. And then sort of after that initial phase, we then, it just became about starting to create good habits again. So going back into, I think I got back into running, um, start, started a daily gratitude journal, which I still do sort of five years later, um, which I, I often talk to my clients about doing and it's often met with a bit of a blank face and how can that make a huge difference to your life? And I would attribute that to like, probably being one of the single most important things I ever did was starting to write three things I'm grateful for every day. 
because in time I went from someone who could only see the darkness and all the shit things in my life to someone who nowadays something bad happens to me and I'm instantly looking for the where's the positive what's the opportunity here what can I learn and I think that such a simple exercise done consistently over time it really does rewire how you think yeah absolutely it's so funny to say that I about heard about gratitude about three years ago four years ago and kind of was on and off with it and then about four months ago I was just I felt like I was kind of pushing up against the wall or banging my head against the wall or just I don't know I was just a bit flustered and I said right I'll go back to doing the gratitude 10 things in the morning 10 things in the evening and Mm. it's like I just feel so much better and there's maybe some other things (laughs) but there's some I think there's something within us that we're always as humans we want to strive for something more like be it in in any area of our life we're kind of we're we're geared towards that like that's to grow but then the kind of problem with that is you're you're never there you're always look you're always in a deficit and the gratitude is just yeah what kind of grounds you isn't it yeah i it has just a there's like a magic quality to it where you can have had what feels like a really crap day and then actually if you just take 30 seconds to sit down and there's always three good things or like in your case 10 good things even if it's been the crappiest of days we we're very quick to label the whole day as being shit <laughs> and it's never that's never the case so every day has ebbs and flows and good bits and bad bits it's just what we decide to latch onto and the stories that we want to tell ourselves about it yeah and like mine some you know on the bad days it could be like that the sun came up that uh you know i have food in the yeah. fridge that i have yeah. a roof over my head like when i say 10 like I'm, you know i'm it's not too much of a stretch there's sometimes they're like everyone has them nearly yeah yeah no i agree i remember when i got into it some days literally just almost taking the piss out of the process and being like literally it's such trivial things but it doesn't matter it's just it's just again it's that consistency of showing up and and changing the way you think yeah because like i say they've changed the way you think it does it rewires you hmm yeah there's a um there's a really good ted talk by a guy called sean Aker who whenever anyone doubts me when i suggest it i send them that one because it's really funny and he comes across as such a lovely bloke but um he talks about doing this three daily gratitudes and he d- explains kind of like neuroplasticity and the neuroscience behind it. But he, it's a really good watch. It's obviously 15, 20 minutes, but it really explains why it works. And it is that we, we do, you do literally see the world through a different lens and you see it through a more positive lens. And that can only be a good thing in my book because that then affects how you view everything. Mm. And it affects how you are in the world, which has more knock-on effects again, I feel. Mm. Yeah, I think I think you like it, the easiest way to explain it is you go from a glass half empty to a glass half full person. And I know who I'd like to be around. The kind of, I'd much rather be around the glass half full person. And, and I'd also much rather be that person because you're not going to let stuff get to you as much. You're going to find opportunities where before you might have just walked away or 
had a bit of a hissy fit. And again, like these micro changes, I think as humans, we always want to, we want there to be a one big fix that fixes everything. And actually mm. it's about building these tiny little practices and habits that on their own feel like nothing. But when you put them together and bolt them all together, the more, the more you do them, then the longer you do them, the bigger the change. And I think that was something that Hugh, who was my original life coach said to me that has always stuck with me is, and it, it's, um, he said that just because we've got comp complicated locks doesn't mean we need complicated keys. And I just absolutely love that. It's like you, just because you've been depressed for five years or you've been anxious for 10 years or whatever the, the thing you're battling with is, it, it doesn't mean you're going to have to do 10 years to get out of it. It can be really quick and fast. And that was my experience is once he'd held space for me and I'd kind of got back to... I I kind of offloaded everything that needed to be offloaded. It was then just about these tiny little practices and habits, doing them consistently, showing up every day, and life turns around very fast. But when you're in it and you feel like everything's awful and it's your life isn't how you want it to feel, you it can feel like you've got a mountain to climb. And doing those tiny little things might feel like what's the point? These aren't going to help. But I would just urge anyone out there who is in a rut to just choose one thing, one positive action to change that they do every day. Do that over three, four weeks, you're gonna to start to see some changes and then you're gonna have capacity to add in something else. And then you're gonna have more capacity to add in something else. And that to me is what growth and development is. And we do have the ability to change stuff really fast. Yeah, 100%. It's so true what you say, the small things. And I went through a similar ish experience somewhat to you in that I got injured five, six, six years ago playing rugby and then went into a dark place drinking, doing drugs as well and to get away from it all. And then I started looking into, I was like, I need to get back to being me. Like, how has this happened? And wherever mm -hmm. I looked, be it psychology, philosophy, spirituality, mindfulness, wherever I looked, it was just these little things that you would think don't make a difference. And that's all mm. I could find. And so I, I would, I just start doing them, whatever it was that they said, I do it. And that's exactly it. It's those small things. But when, yeah, if, if people can be very quick to be like, sure, that's, that's nothing. Sam, three things, writing down three things, you know, I don't mm. know, you know, it's nothing. I, I need a, I, I have bigger problems to, to deal with. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, no, I, I agree with you. I think that, but then I, I guess the question I'd pose to those people is that, do you actually want to feel better? Because if you're not willing to do these tiny, seemingly insignificant things, like what are you waiting for? Like why aren't you willing to try it? And that for me would then become a really interesting coaching piece to, to work on because if someone's coming to me and say, I want to feel better, my question is always, well, what have you tried so far? And often they've tried nothing, which to me is a really interesting indicator of where they're at. Yeah. And how did you transition then into yourself um, being a coach? And are you still involved with the coffee or did you transition away from that altogether? 
So I I sold my first two coffee shops in May and I'm still involved in the coffee roastery, which was a different business. Um, and I'm now mainly focusing all my time on coaching. So my, I guess my journey in was unplanned in a, in a roundabout way. I, I knew that running the coffee business wasn't, wasn't giving me the fulfillment I was looking for. And I, I now know that I started that business through a fear of being forgotten. I think the bit, the thing I struggled with the most when I came out was, was my loss of identity. I was so attached to sound the rugby player, all my self-worth was around my ability to play rugby that I now know subconsciously when I was coming out, I, I think, I think subconsciously I was like, shit, no one's going to like me. No one's going to be interested in me. I'm not going to have any friends. So what's, what's another identity I can latch onto that society values. And I, and I, and I chose being an entrepreneur because that, that to me felt like something someone would want to talk to me at a party about as a, in a kind of really like low level way of looking at it. And so I guess I fell into a business that wasn't serving me. And the further I went down my own personal development journey, the less willing I was, I was to put up with that. So I started searching for, I guess, my purpose and what it was. And, and I, I tried loads of stuff. I had loads of really quite out there ideas. Like I nearly signed up to a two year garden design architecture masters, which I'm really glad I didn't because I was about an hour away from pressing the, the, the send on that. And I think I was so desperately searching for this thing that it was never going to appear. And something I say to my clients now is that you don't find purpose, you feel it. And for me, I was so like laser focused on trying to find this thing, almost crowbar it into existence that it was always going to elude me. And it wasn't until I said to myself, I'm going to stop searching for this and I'm just going to see what happens. Then literally the next day I received a text message. I'd been, um, I've been volunteering for this charity called I Can and I Am, where they drive a double-decker bus into uh, secondary schools. And then you have a class at a time and half the class make pizzas downstairs and the other class go upstairs and do self-confidence workshops. And so the day after I said to myself, I remember writing it in my journal, like I'm going to let go and I'm just going to see what happens. The next day, the guy sent me a photo of all the feedback slips that I'd um, of the kids I'd worked with on the confidence workshop the week before. And I just remember reading these little notes from these kids and just bursting into tears. And I just had this complete visceral reaction of like, fuck, this is what I need to do. And instantly the next day I was like, right, I want to be a coach. And then I was then hit with, but I don't, I'm not good enough to be a coach. I don't have enough experience and all the kind of classic imposter syndrome, fear based narratives that we often tell ourselves. And I just said, no, this, uh, yesterday's reaction was too big to ignore and that's what I mean by feeling it like I literally felt it in my body that this was what I was supposed to be doing and then that led me to doing a a ICF accredited course um, coaching course for a year and now yeah now that's what I do I work mainly with athletes in transition um, but also with people from all, all walks of life as well Class, and I love what you say there about um, feeling it. And that is mm. something that probably would have been a bit alien to me a few years ago, or wouldn't quite conceptually have understood it. But I've 
kind of been on that journey or understood that in the last six, 12 months, or the last couple of years, maybe. But um, it's the way you actually have to go through life, isn't it? Hmm. Yeah. Well, what's like, what's been your experience of stuff, like stuff that you felt that maybe you wouldn't have done in the past? So I, when I was younger, I studied commerce and society said, like you said about an entrepreneur, that working in finance was really impressive. And so I, a big problem I had is I went kind of 50, 50, like I did rugby and studied. And then I was playing back home in the all Ireland league playing with Connacht day. And I was also working in an office. Like I'd be going to the gym four or five mornings, four mornings a week, training three evenings a week and then playing. And then I went to the States did a master's player coach of a rugby team. And then after that went back to the kind of doing both and trying to do yeah. as much rugby as I could, but working, I did an MBA, you know, I was, but the reason yeah. I went to the States was for the rugby. It was like, you, I got offered a scholarship mm-hmm. as a player coach, but I was like, I was like, man, getting to be a rugby coach all day and play rugby. And okay, I got to do two classes at night during the week to tick the box. And I did the MBA on the side, but like, I love, I love coaching. I loved it. And I love playing, mm. you know, like I, if, when you talk about feeling like there's nothing that lit me up more in coaching still, but in my head, I was thinking of career paths and finance and this and that and completely in my head. And then mm. it was when COVID hit, I was like, I was like, yeah, no, I, I have to do this. I have to step away. Mm. Yes. Yeah, interesting that kind of body head clash and that's something i work a lot on with people around we're so cognitive and heady in western society that we can analyze our way in into and out of anything but often that gets us into trouble in the long run and it sounds like what you did was trusted that kind of body intuition that gut feeling or that i was i was talking about gut or heart and whether we can listen to those kind of wisdom senses rather than always just relying on our head. Yeah. And another thing about eight weeks ago, nine weeks ago, I had, so when I got depressed and all that kind of read all the stuff myself, done the work myself and about six months ago, I was kind of like, you know, things are good. Things are, I'm really happy with how things are, but you know, there's just some areas that it just could be better. You know, like I've, I've kind of never been better, but I know there's something else. Like I'm not, it's just not right. And so about eight weeks ago, I started going to therapy to a therapist and what I've found there is that I was very much in my head, even still over the last, even since two years ago, when I made the switch, I was still very much thinking like, how will this work out? How will that work out? I want to be here Mm. and just thinking, 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 like, how will I do it? What? what can I put out there? What can I strategy tacked all in my head? And some of the work that I've done there is like unraveling stuff and letting go and just, Mm. yeah, letting go. And so now the way I kind of said it to her is that I feel like I'm living from the center of my chest. Like I'm, and I, Mm. 
I breathe every morning. I take time as Joe Dispenza talks about it, like visit the quantum field or where there's the time space <laughs> and, and, you know, to really get out of your head and meditate. People go, whatever word you want to put on it. I do that in the morning and, you know, I kind of sometimes at times throughout the day do it for two, three minutes if I feel myself getting a bit wound up. And so that's, yeah, just something of late. And it's incredible, I find, or have, I'm finding that things just happen for you. You don't need to be in your head mm. thinking all the time. Yeah, I love that. I, I've got a massive smile on my face, which people probably won't be able to see on, the, on a podcast. Um, but yeah, I think you like, hit the nail on the head. I, th I think those somatic body-based practices that just bring us back to the ground we're stood on are incredible. For, for me, like anxiety is about being in your head in the future, living in the future, worrying about what's to come. And every time I catch myself there, which is a lot, I do some breathing techniques or a centering practice just to find my feet on the ground and just bring myself back to where I am. And I think kind of related to this, you touched on it earlier of that, that feeling of like always wanting to get to the next thing and the next thing and the next thing and plan, planning that off in the future. A metaphor that I tend to bring a lot of my clients is this, um, call it the island where everything works out. And what we're doing is we're, and we, we all do it, I still do it today, but it, it's the way that capitalist society is, is funded basically is we make our, the thing we want to feel, so say, I want to feel confident. So I go, right, well, when I get a Ferrari, I'll be confident because that will obviously make me confident. And I put this Ferrari off in the island in the future. And what I do by doing that is I say, until I get there, I can't be happy. Or sorry, I can't be confident. And then you paddle like fuck to swim to this island. You get there, you get the Ferrari, you drive it off the forecourt and you still feel really unconfident. And then you go, fuck, I've wasted all my life to get to this point. I must have been chasing the wrong island, so I need to go to a different island. And we can just hop island hop for our whole life. And what we're doing is we'll never feel the thing we want to feel. So, and then the kind of the antidote to that is to look down at your feet and realize that, fuck, I've been stood on the island the whole time. Like, how can I make myself feel confident today? What do I need to do today? How do I need to change how I view myself? How do I, how I show up in the world? And that becomes really exciting because then we stop needing to strive for stuff from a, a place of lack. Like we can still strive to get to places. We can still have goals. We can still get excited about doing stuff, but I can also feel confident today and I can feel confident every step of the way and work on that now. And that to me becomes really exciting because then you get to start living your life today. And that's often how I start with clients that they come in and they're like, oh, well, I'm lacking this. I'm not good enough at that. I shouldn't be doing this. And I want to feel like this and achieve this. And I'm like, right. And they're like, well, it's going to take me three years to get there. And I was like, well, why don't we get a little bit there today? And we always can because often the thing we want is already inside us. It's just been obscured by ourselves, by stories, by stuff people said when we were growing up. And that becomes a really exciting practice to be in with someone. Yeah, 100%. Yeah, I love your analogy there. I call it the I'll be happy when. And yes. you can insert yeah. whatever you want there, you know. Yeah. And yeah. 
that's something that I'm realizing a lot. Once again, over the last number of weeks, uh, when I'm or when I have been moving from my head to my body, that you can be the person that you want to be now. Mm. And that, like you say about the confident or whatever it is, you just be that person now. And then, and I've heard this in self-help said many different ways, but you just become that person now and then let go. And the things that that person would get will flow to you. And that's mm. fact. I'm I'm seeing it. Yeah, and that and that's been my experience of. I think I'm obsessed with letting go and staying open, and trusting, because. And I and I guess for me the trust is built has been built so much in the past seven years since rugby because. Nowhere in my life plan did it have finished rugby at 26. Like not one part of me wanted that to happen, but it's happened. And then the coffee shop happened and that wasn't quite right. But then that has all led me to do what I do today. And I'm happier today coaching than I was playing rugby. And I remember that when one of my big fears when I finished was that I will never be happy or excited again, because what could be more exciting than running out and playing rugby with your mates? on telly and in front of thousands of people and scoring tries like in my 26 year old brain that was impossible but I I didn't know what was best for me and whatever force you want to call it made that happen and that led me on this path and I feel more at home and I feel more myself today than I ever have and I wouldn't be here today if I had been able to script my life play by play how I how I so wanted it to go and I'm, again, it's a phrase that Hugh gave me, which I love is, is can you positively blame the bad stuff that's happened in your life? And for me, I can now. It's taken a lot of healing and a lot of time, but I can, I positively blame finishing rugby early because it's, it's been just been a stepping stone in my journey. Hey, Brian here. I work one-on-one with rugby players, helping them perform better on the field, enjoy it more and maximize their careers. If you feel like there's more in you and don't want to have regrets down the line, head over to offfieldrugby.com now and book a free 30-minute Zoom consultation. And the link is in the show notes. On the call, you talk to me about where you're at now, what you would like to achieve, and I'll show you how I can help you get there. You then go off and decide if you want to invest in yourself and move forward with the one-on-one coaching. For teams, I do mental skills sessions over Zoom. Players will have mindset shifts on the call, but also they'll get exercises to practice going forward. So it's like an S&C program, but for your mental strength. If you're a coach or manager of a team, you can book a free 30-minute Zoom consultation now as well on offfieldrugby.com. If you have any other questions, you can get in touch with me through my social media at Brian Moylet, at Offfield Rugby, or the website offfieldrugby.com. All right, cheers. We'll get back into today's episode. Hmm. Yeah, and you mentioned there, oh, we were just 
a text and but um that you went to a trauma conference yeah a couple of weekends ago at oxford uni it was a yeah four-day trauma conference with loads of workshops and talks cool and that's just something that i'm interested in or learning about and just understanding that i think for us to be like we're kind of talking about free and open that from what i understand you have to heal your trauma yeah so the work i'm the work i do is we don't really we don't work with trauma we work we're very forward looking but i mean i i work with a therapist to work through my own trauma from my childhood and my adult life and i think i think the two together in tandem are, are really powerful because there will be things that have happened in all of our lives in the past that are affecting how we react to stuff in the present and then coaching them is then how do I look forward and then create the life I want I think I think to do the two side by side can be super powerful yeah 100% and that's cool as I say creating the life you want and that's what it is isn't it Hmm. Yeah, the, the the term I always use is like craft crafting the life of your dreams. And it can sound a bit cheesy, but I kinda like that because how else would you want to live your life in my in my books? Like I believe we can all do that. And I guess from a coming from the coaching side of it is that you don't have to do it alone. Which I think is a lot of what people in our society believe it, we've become so individualistic that all of the pressure is put on us to do everything and actually what we're really missing is community and to be in a relationship with a coach who has got your back who wants what you want just as much as you do for you that loves you and sees you and hears you and understands you is super powerful because it's something that a lot of us are lacking and that relationship can create so much value in people's lives because often it's something that a lot of people have never experienced. hundred percent. And did you see any coach outside of your clubs when you were playing rugby, like sports psychologists, mental skills or anything like that? So I used to, when I was at Harlequins, I used to, do uh, speed coaching with Margot Wells um, and without realising it at the time she also did loads of mental skills stuff as well and I think I probably went for her for the speed work and then stayed for the mental skills and that support because she was a huge influence on my career and just having a sounding board away from the club was really important to me to talk about how I was playing how I was feeling and so much of the work we did was around confidence and showing up and performing in the way that I wanted. And yeah, so she was really instrumental in um, in, in my career on that side. And then there was a time at, when I was at Harlequins where I was suffering really badly with depression and I ended up going and seeing a therapist. But we... At that point in my life, I thought there was only one type of therapy, which was talk therapy. And 
it wasn't massively helpful I don't think for where I was at that point I think there are probably some other modalities that might have been a bit more useful because I was so stuck in my head that I think it would have been really helpful to have worked with someone who helped me get out of it but I think that my I know you all know this better than me but it feels like current players are a lot more aware of the different options they have out there and the importance of of working with people in these fields yeah I think it's definitely changing I think it's definitely changing because 10 years ago I would have seen it as a weakness and Mm. yeah would have been you know you like you say about you want to do it all yourself you think you can do it all yourself you think you need to do it all yourself because you don't want to achieve Mm. it but haven't got help you know that's the way I would have been thinking (laughs) yeah and I think the other thing to add on to that is that from the outside well this is my experience of being in a professional environment it felt like every other player didn't need that help because none of us were talking so then you're in an environment where it feels like the other 49 guys or girls are really mentally tough and they've got everything sorted and they're not having the same worries as you, which for me made me feel like the odd one out. But I now know talking to my mates who have retired that we all felt exactly the same the whole time and none of us fucking spoke about it. (laughs) And how useful would it have been for one of us to suddenly open up and then the others could have felt, wow, I feel like that too. And yeah, there's just so much power in that. And I'm laughing because I just know the power of it now. And I know how much of a difference it would have made to have of being more open and vulnerable with my teammates. But I just didn't have that capacity at the time. Yeah, 100%. That's exactly what screwed me up as well. Like, I remember I'd be just mm. going up to higher levels or whatever and thinking, oh, I'm, I'm not good enough to be here. I'm not really confident. But the rest of them are really confident. They're all so confident. Yeah. Like, yeah. And, you know? Yeah. yeah, it's mad, isn't it? Yeah, it's crazy. And I suppose when you're a young fella, you just, you just, uh, you don't know. You know, you don't know what you don't know. Hmm. And you said there that you prefer what you're doing now to playing rugby Hmm. yeah i i get the same like in the sort of 20 15 minutes build up to a coaching conversation with a client i get the same pre-match kind of jittery stomach and excitement And I genuinely, like I said earlier, I genuinely thought I'd never feel that ever again. So it's magic. And I don't feel like I'm working, which again is how I felt playing rugby. So I believe, and and it's it's why I'm working with other athletes who are going through transition, because my transition was so painful that I, I just want to help other people not feel the depths of the lowness that I felt like I can't take that away from people and you need to go through a grieving process and it will be painful. But what I hope to be is a support and a companion to people going through that, because I know how valuable that would have been to me coming out of the game. And 
I think again, I think it where feels it feels like we're at a bit of a turning point in the fact that people are finally talking about how hard transition is for athletes, and the more people can tell their stories and share their experiences, the better. Because I spoke to a lady called uh, Marissa who um, is one of the founders of a company called Reboot, who are creating a community space for um, retired athletes the other day and we were talking about like every athlete when you're in the game has a support group they have physios coaches medics teammates everything but what would it feel like if an athlete knew that when they left they needed to have a transition team so make it so part of the culture that it's okay to have a team of people to help you transition in a way that feels good because a lot of the work I'm doing at the moment is with people who have been retired for 10 years who are miserable because when they retired, they fell into a job that doesn't serve them. And we're now unpicking the last 10 years of their life. But that's really hard because at that point, they've probably grown to quite a senior level. They're earning quite good money and it actually becomes quite hard to come out of something and start again. Whereas it'd be magic to be able to actually work with these people as they're coming out or before they come out, because then you're actually starting to talk about what's my identity away from sport? Who am I? What do I enjoy? What lights me up? Before you have to start making those decisions. And then when you do come out of the game, you can make some informed decisions rather than just going with the first company that offers you a job because you're panicking. Yeah, 100%. And... Yeah, that falling into something like uh, the first company that offers you a job, panicking, and then, yeah, you get trapped. And I think that happens to people. I know, I feel I know friends of mine as well, and, you know, the same thing, but you leave college and the mm-hmm. first job you get, and then that's you. And it's like, then the, yeah. is it the sunk cost fallacy? Yes. Yeah. It's that, yeah, I've I've invested so much time in this, I can't possibly switch or people talk about the golden handshakes in corporate that golden handshakes golden handcuffs where you're tied into massive bonus structures but you need to stay another three years and then you stay a three years and they give you a bigger one but you've got to stay another three years and it becomes really tricky to get out of that situation when you've got a family and a mortgage but I guess it's yeah again it comes to that question of would you rather be happy or would you rather make a bit more money and that becomes a question that I get excited about exploring with people. Yeah. And the, the happiness, uh, when you were saying that, I was just thinking that, and you can't put a price on it. Like I think about it now, like I'm, I just love, yeah, like you, I just love what I'm doing so much. I understand exactly what you're saying about before a coaching call. And I work with predominantly with athletes that are still playing and, it's yeah it's so enjoyable and like you say it doesn't feel like working at all i look forward to it but yeah you can see Mm. you see it on a call most minor on zoom but you know the moment when they're like yeah like they just aha moments are just when you know you can see you can feel the difference you can see and feel the difference and Mm. that you're making it's just it's so rewarding that's just culture in general and people who coach rugby on the grass will will know that too that feeling as well and um but yeah it's I think it's just so so important I've done it like I've 
I've been in an office and it just wasn't for me. Like I believe from researching that I'm neurodivergent. Like I just, school wasn't really, I didn't enjoy school sitting at a desk or for so many hours and an office didn't enjoy it. And yeah, I go in and do talks with companies now around wellbeing and um, I kind of get the same thing. I was like, oh, thankfully I'm not doing that job. But, um, you know, if you're not doing something you like for eight hours a day, and then you leave that and you're still thinking about it and it eats into your your free time we'll say and it's just like it's just not worth it like it really isn't it's not worth it no and again that come when we talk about head heart gut the head will spin stories that will keep us stuck even if our heart or gut are screaming at us to leave or change or do something but the head will keep us in there it will tell us stories of why we can't leave or if we stay another six months or another year or when we when x happens then it will be okay and often with this shift if you are someone who who wants to change their life it there's never going to be a right time you're never going to feel ready you're never going to feel confident enough you just need to rip that band-aid off and work it out as you go along. And it comes back to that staying open and trusting that we spoke about earlier. I think that talk talk about how with these kind of big changes, the, the universe will first, it will tickle you. And that will be the kind of feeling that you have in your gut of like, this isn't right. I, I shouldn't be here. And if you don't listen to that, it will then poke you, which will be quite a lot more painful. And then if you don't listen to that, it will just slap you around the face. And that event is just horrendous to go through, but it will be so powerful that it will force you to actually listen and do something about it. But the skillfulness for me comes in, can you listen to the tickle or the poke? Because they're a lot less painful. And then I guess my caveat on that is that even if you get slapped around the face by the universe and something horrendous happens and you, it makes you question everything that you will also still be okay. Like we will always be okay. And we can deal with anything that's thrown our way. And whilst you're in that pain and that chaos, it might feel like you don't know why it's happening to you or what, what the solution is, but if you can just stay in it, stay open and keep putting one foot in front of the other, eventually you come out the other side and for me coming out the other side is really exciting because then you're met with a land of opportunity and possibility and you get to then choose what direction you go in yeah i love that i love that and it's so true what you say about it will always be okay. Mm. Yeah, like mm. we worry so much, like we worry so much if, and it is always okay. And it's crazy. And that's, yeah, that's mad. Just how much we worry about things and worry Something I've been thinking about quite a lot over the last while. Um, worry never serves us. It never no. really, it doesn't because we're, we're worrying about potential things that might happen. And 
this is something I kind of wrestled with or thought about, you know, because I'd heard someone rebuke it or kind of, but, you know, like, oh, well, what if I need to, well, what if something bad does happen? I need, you need to be protected or you need to, but it's like, no, you, you just, you hold yourself back, don't you? You just like constrict yourself, hold yourself back. You keep yourself small, you keep yourself closed. You keep mm. yourself away from opportunities, opportunities that, you know, you mentioned the universe and I, and I know exactly what I mean. I agree. And that, that opportunities that want to come your way nearly, because, but you're sitting there worrying Yeah, and they can't, they can't get you, yeah. get to you. Yeah. Yeah. Like you said, when you're close and you're small and you're thinking about all the worries, you aren't open to noticing those opportunities. You don't even see them because you're so worried about what might happen. And yeah, like playing small will never serve you. Worrying will never serve you. But if you can have that trust in yourself that you are resilient enough to deal with whatever comes your way, then you can shift that energy from worrying and then shift it into who you are as a person and what you're doing. Like imagine if you took all that worrying energy every single day and put it into the thing that you're excited about or scared about like what what could become possible and for me like i see i see feeling scared and imposter syndrome i see that as an indicator of the thing i need to be doing because if i wasn't scared about it and if i wasn't worried about whether i was good enough to do it then i don't care enough about it so if you're going to continually work on little projects that you're not scared about because they're in your comfort zone, you will just stay where you are. But if you can look at the thing that is petrifying and just take one step towards it and see what happens, that's where life, your life can literally change and it can change really quickly. And then and another analogy I often use with clients for this is as humans, we really want, we want decisions to be binary. We want to be able to know if it's a yes or a no, an on or off, black or white, because it's nice in our head, it makes sense. And we can really kind of categorize it. And I, the way I bring that to life in these kind of big life decisions is we often feel like we're stood on the edge of a cliff and we're either got to jump into the sea and see what happens or we stay on, on the safe land. Where actually I believe that often these decisions, you're actually stood on the beach and you get to take one step after the other and slowly walk into the sea. And what I say is that always, if you're taking that route where you're going to just take a step towards the thing you're scared about, another step, another step, another step, is you can always go back. Like the land will always be there. Your old way of being, your old life will always be there. You can always, like if you're in a job doing, I don't know, marketing and you want to go and set up a I don't know like an expedition holiday company you could go and try the expedition holiday company for five years it might not work I bet you could go back to your marketing job like these they aren't one-way streets and I think that when you're telling yourself it is and that's scaring you from doing it you're just stopping yourself from feeling alive and doing what you really want to do Yeah, absolutely. And a couple of things on that is that I think, yeah, people, the person who is afraid to step forward into something new because of they think it's a one way street and 
oh, but I can't leave this job or whatever. Um, they're, I suppose, very insecure. And that thought came from my mind as well. It's like, you know, finance, you earn so much money, this, that, the other. But you have to back yourself. At some point, you have to just mm. believe in yourself and back yourself. And like you say, go and go and do it for a year, two years, six months, three years, whatever it is. But back yourself and believe in yourself that if mm. that you will grow as a person and that if things don't work out on this route, that you will be a better person because of it. And you can always go back to what you were doing, yeah. like you say. And it's it's that kind of yeah. real imposter insecurity, like, oh, geez, I'm not good enough to be here, so I can't leave. Mm. Yeah. And you're only not good enough to be there if you believe that. As soon as you stop believing that, yeah. all of a sudden you're good enough to be there. <laughs> and then, you, sh and and then you show up as a different person. Yeah, yeah. It is like, if I tell myself I'm not good enough to be here, I will act in a way that shows I'm not good enough to be here. But if I go, fuck it, I'm meant to be doing this, I'm going to show up with that confidence. And like for me, confidence is acting in the face of fear or despite fear. Confidence isn't something that you earn or you suddenly get enough of to do the thing. It's confidence is doing it despite the fact that you're shit scared of it and backing yourself that you will work it out. Yeah. And it's like when you say about stepping forward and kind of stepping forward into unknown, doing something new, and it happens all the time. Like, and even on your journey, I'm sure it's all the time you're doing new things that, you know, you're, you're it's not it's not like you make a leap and like you say you get comfortable and then things are great from then on we always have to be stepping forward taking steps into unknown growing to feel fulfilled and the thing with that is is it's scary but what i've uh, started to the last while to understand and realize myself it's scary but uh, that feeling is actually exhilaration. It's exhilarating. And that's what truly living mm. is. Like, yes, for me, there's kind of constant steps forward. Like, you know, I was working with young rugby players to start off two years ago, because that's just what I, I had a younger brother. And I was, you know, and that's just what I started with. And then it was rugby players of all ages and levels. And then it's some other athletes. And, and then more recently, you know, doing talks in schools, talks in sports teams, and more recently going into businesses. And, you know, every, every step you feel scared, but mm. you have to do it because you can't sit there knowing you've more in you and not go forward. Yes. Yeah, I, yeah, I a hundred percent agree. And if you, again, it comes back to that, if you weren't feeling scared, then it's probably not worth your time to do it because it would indicate to me that you're probably not that excited about it. And I think like the feeling of anxiety in your belly versus butterflies like pre-match in your belly is they're very similar. And again, our head can decide how we label that. It can either be I'm too anxious and not confident enough or wow, I'm really excited about this, how epic I get to have a go at it. But again, that we get to decide what label we put on that, what story we like, attach to those feelings. Yeah, and everything that is funny everything that we're talking about is directly applicable to a rugby player as well as it is to somebody yeah. 
like you and I in life, like before you go on to a game, like mm-hmm. feeling confident, letting go. That's another huge thing, letting go of control and just because that allows you to be in the moment. Um, yeah. Taking a step forward and um, going into environments that scare you or whatever and not staying small and all these different things. And it's, it's funny just because, yeah, when yeah. I'd be starting out just, you know, researching more on flow state and on all this stuff and thinking back and talking to people on here and it's, it's all the same stuff. Yeah. I think the, these universal principles and it, it's making me think about, I think I get, I often get really sad when I sit with a athlete for the first time and I can see how small and lacking confident they are in this next step of their journey because I'm looking at them and I just see so much potential because I, I'm like, for the last 10, 15, 20 years, you have shown up every single day, come rain or shine, you have done the tiny little things to get a quarter of a percent better. You have the ability to show up on a massive stage and perform. Like, if you just pick all of those attributes up that you have, that you're taking them for granted because they just are who you are and you've been surrounded in a high-performance environment where everyone else is on a similar page, you take yourself into the real world. You are not normal. Like, your way of being in the world is not normal. And But what you have to get over is your ego. You can't go from being in the top 0.1% in the world in your position in rugby or football or cricket and expect to be at the same level in whatever the next step you do is. You've got to just let that ego, like egoic part of yourself die and be comfortable with starting again. But knowing that if you apply the same principles that you apply to your sporting career, you will be okay. And again, like I say to them is, you didn't become a professional rugby player on day one of picking up a rugby ball. Like it started when you were six. And you started with love and passion and excitement and just gen- joy of being on a rugby pitch. So find the next thing that makes you feel like you did picking up a rugby ball at the age of six and then be okay with the fact that you're shit at it. But knowing that you now have 20, 30 years of experience of showing up and doing what needs to be done to improve and get better. And for me, that's a really exciting place to be in. But when you're in it, I totally get it because I was there. It's really scary because you can feel like sports is such a little specialist subject that you can't apply the same stuff. But as you've just touched on is these are universal principles in life and you show up in the next chapter, like you did in the first chapter and things will be fine. Yeah, absolutely. And elite athletes there. Yeah. They're 0.1% people, the, the habits Mm. and the, and like everything, I've said it before, but like everything that I've called whatever one wants to label success or whatever one wants to anything I've done well is because of things I learned or became from rugby. It is not from sitting in a classroom doing a commerce degree or an MBA degree. It is not. It is not from sitting yeah. in an office. No. <laughs> Simple as. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. hundred you percent. Know? Yeah. Yeah, it's exactly that. It's Yeah, I'm thinking that how I've grown my coaching business was I've shown up on LinkedIn every day for a year and a half like and wrote a post and engaged with people and spoken to people. Like that's the same as turning up every day for 10 years and going to the gym because 
going to the, I didn't like going to the gym as a rugby player, but it made me a better rugby player. And you build these habits and this ability to do the things you say you're going to do as an athlete, and you can apply that to whatever it is you do next. Yeah, brilliant. That showing up is so, so that's what it is, isn't it? And so many people are afraid because they're not, they know they can be at level 100, but they're only at level one and they don't want to put a post up that doesn't get many likes or they don't want to put a post up that isn't great. So Mm. they don't put posts up. And I did the exact same with the podcast. I said, I'm going to do a podcast. And if I were listening to a podcast, I do listen to them. I want it out weekly. So it's like, it's got to be weekly, like you say, by showing up. And there's been many times that I haven't been happy with different things, be it, it's funny, the sound, like talking about things not being perfect. I got this, bought this microphone on Amazon, whatever, $70 or something. And I plugged it into my laptop and I was chatting to people for the first six episodes. And when I was editing back, the sound was crap on my end and I was like I bought this microphone sure I'd plugged it in but I had to change the settings <laughs> <laughs> so it wasn't actually doing it okay nice and, you know, but, <laughs> yeah just, just look pretty <laughs> yeah exactly exactly but there's just so many I think that's another thing that holds a lot of people back is that they're not they like you said before they feel they're not ready they feel they're not perfect they feel they need to learn more wait for better timing all these different things but Hmm. And I've seen you on LinkedIn, I love, and that's obviously how I came across your whatever, but it's just probably because one of these posts you were just putting up daily and it's just happened to land on my feed, you know? Hmm. Yeah. Yeah, it's that. It's like in that example, not there's not going to be one single post that I've done that has changed my business. It's the fact that there's hundreds of them and none of them are perfect some are better than others some are really crap and if you go back to the beginning you'll see that there was one or two likes on every post (laughs) and but it doesn't matter because it is just it is about showing up and if you start to show up for stuff that you care about you start to think about yourself in a different way you start to have more um yeah, you start to feel more confident in yourself. You start to feel more worth because you're like, I'm I'm the kind of person that shows up for what I care about. And to me, that's really important because often we say we value certain things, but our behaviors don't match up to those values. And for me, living in alignment is, can you say what you care about and what you love and what you want to do? And then can you match it up with your behavior and action? And that to me is what living in alignment feels like because you're doing you're you're doing what you want to do and what makes you come alive yeah brilliant and yeah that's that's self-worth isn't it that's that's exactly where it comes from and Mm. how you have it yeah yeah that belief that i i deserve to live the life of my dreams comes back to that crafting the life of your dreams to do it first you've got to believe you deserve it because if you believe you deserve it, you'll go and do it. Yeah, and we all do deserve it. But unfortunately, like yeah. might, people might be telling themselves stories because of things that have happened or they might be so fearful 
because of things that have happened or you know just all the baggage mm. trauma whatever whatever that people are carrying that they might think they're they don't deserve it or look at that person doing that i'd love to do that i feel like i can do that but i can't yeah no definitely i i um whenever i talk about self-worth for people i always think of this one client that i worked with who he went through absolute tragedy. He was um, he was at the Manchester Arena when there was the terrorist attack at the Ariana Grande concert. And um, he lost his wife and then suffered life-changing injuries himself from the bomb going off. And I met him six years later and he was, had he, he said, I, I, he referred to himself as a shadow and a ghost of his former self and just zero self-worth. And the coaching was the tiniest things that he had a latte, um, a coffee machine at home that he only turned on and made lattes when his kids came to visit. He only used a surround sound when they were visiting. He only cooked dinner when they were there. He was living off microwave meals, had like a fountain in his garden. Those kind like all these tiny little acts every single day where he was not showing himself that he believed he was worthy of living a, a nice life. And the coaching was he started to do those things for himself every day. So he started cooking dinner every night, making a, a latte every morning, turning on his fountain, turning on a surround sound. And the way I view these tiny little acts is, you know, like when you go to the supermarket and they give you one of those little plastic coins to put in the charity box at the end, every, I, I see it like it, these tiny little acts of, of I believe I'm worthy. Every time you do one, you put in a little coin in your own box. And over time, those little acts build up and the transformation was he's all he wanted to do was go back to his original job but he's now on the board at uh, the trauma the trauma center at the hospital where he was looked after he's uh, mentoring other terrorist attack survivors and he's lobbying government for changing and how they deal with the survivors of these attacks and it all started with him cooking dinner for himself and I say that because I'm anyone listening in is is where in your life are you not showing yourself the love that maybe you deserve? What could be one tiny act that you could do for yourself each day that you're not? Because again, it comes full circle back to the daily gratitudes we spoke about at the beginning. These seemingly tiny, insignificant things, when you start to add them up, lead to huge change. Yeah, big time that's that's unreal well done and something i think as well for that showing yourself love is how i see it it comes up in me is giving myself a break sometimes so mm. you know like I, I the way yeah the way it shows up for me is that i'll i'll do 10 things i'll get up I have the morning routine in the gym I'm doing this I'm doing that I'm getting a load of work done I'm busy and then it comes to three o'clock and I sit down and have lunch or what I have food and and I realize an hour and 15 minutes is gone and just allowing in the past I would have been like Brian come on like you can't be taking an hour and 15 minutes mm. for lunch like that's not that's no good like if you were in an office or just comparing like work ethic you know and 
because mm. that's how I see myself as someone, you know, I, I just, yeah, work, you know, get up early, do my thing and whatever, whatever. But I would have been hard on myself for those little things. And it's, for me, it's mm. just allowing myself it's like, Brian, the sun is out today. The weather's changing in New Zealand right now. It's becoming spring. And for me, just, you know, giving myself that space, to just sit outside and just eat my lunch in the sun is, is a big change for me. Yeah. yeah. No, definitely. I mean, that sounds awesome. And again, it's seemingly tiny, but I bet it's not. Oh, no, it's huge. Because <laughs> it, it's huge. Because you. the thing is, then you put yourself into a spin for the rest of the day. You know, mm. if I, if I say, kind of beat myself up at some point during my day, and that some point could have been in the morning, like I don't, I really don't go on my phone for the first few hours of the day, you know, I, I stay away from it. And for lots of reasons, for mental health, for productivity, for just, yeah, just, just leave it. And I, you know, I'd go onto the laptop or whatever and do, you know, but it could be, you know, if I go on for five minutes or 10 minutes and I find myself, yeah, just on my phone, the just parking it there and not just saying, Brian, you're useless, you're crap. Come on, that's no good the day. And then the day goes, because you're living in that story for the mm. rest of your day. Yeah. Yeah, I think, I think that's really important, what you're saying around how being really selective around the language we use when we talk to ourselves. Because I'm sure people have heard this, but like the way we talk to ourselves, we wouldn't talk to our worst enemy a lot of the time. And again, like like we've spoken about this stuff, like the gratitude builds up collectively over time. So does the negative self-talk. And we all have that voice in our head, that inner critic or the judge, depending on how you want to refer to it. Some people give it a name, but that voice is really skillful. At, it knows when, what buttons to push, when to push them, how hard. And that can be such a, game changer for so many of us is just changing that relationship we have with ourselves in our head the the words we use the yeah and those changes again are in seemingly insignificant but they build up over time yeah big time and it's yeah treating yourself like the person you love most like how would you if the mm. person you love most in the world did that, what would you say to them? Yeah. Yeah. And it wouldn't be your name. Like, yeah, that's, that's a really good. Yeah. <laughs> sort your shit out. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And be a coach, like be, be your own coach. Hmm. Yeah, definitely. And that, I think for me, that's where journaling comes in. Building a building a daily journaling practice for me is a it's a sense making exercise. It's a way of coaching yourself. It's a way of processing stuff, seeing stuff from a slightly different angle. Because I think again, if we live in our heads, we just are constantly looking at ourselves d dead on in the mirror. Whereas when you work with a coach or journaling you get to shift that view by 10 degrees and you can see yourself from a slightly different angle. And that's where you start to bring awareness and then awareness then leads to 
the decision about whether you change behaviors and then that then leads to sort of lasting change in my in my eyes yeah and how do you journal how do i journal yeah say to someone who's you know like i i don't journal as much as i should or you know i do different things like affirmations and gratitude and what went well today what didn't go well today or what can i you know improve on or you know just i have a few different things but yeah so like you know once again people have heard about practicing gratitude people have heard about journaling and what's your journaling what's it look like so yeah, my my daily practice will be at the end of at the end of the day i'll just write i am grateful for dot 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 three times and I just write that. Sometimes it'll be a word, sometimes it'll be a paragraph, and that will just depend on what I need at that moment. And then not every day. I used to do it a lot more frequently, but I think sometimes when I've got a lot going on in my head and a lot of questions or things I'm working on, I'll then just free write for, I don't know, five, 10 minutes. And for me, free writing is just putting a pen down, trying to get out of my head and just start writing i don't necessarily know what i'm going to write about but what i love about it is that eventually at some point as you start writing you you do drop out of your head and and it feels like the pen is writing itself and then what you're doing there is you're tapping into subconscious and you're tapping out of the overthinking headiness that we all live in and for me that's a really powerful sense making exercise because you do it and it just starts to connect dots in ways that you wouldn't have connected otherwise. Yeah, hundred percent. That's class. And I do that a little bit, usually on the weekend. I'll, um, yeah, mm. we're just writing out if, you know, the morning of weekend, if I have time and I, it's, uh, yeah. it's really powerful. It's powerful that, and it's funny that moment of you start from your head kind of, I'm going to go journaling now mm. or some, for me, sometimes I do. And then I'll be writing and you're kind of wanting to get the good feeling that, you know, you can get from this and then mm. you just keep going and going. And then as you say, at some point it just, you start to feel great. It's just like, ah, and it's, that's yeah. the, they're yeah. going from the 100%. head to the, to the body. And it just, like you say, it feels like it's writing itself. Yeah. Yeah, it's another way of coming back to where your feet are and just grounding yourself. And it is, I, I do see it as a, it's like self-coaching because you think that the reason you're anxious or worrying is because of X, but when you start writing, you're like, oh, it's at, I'm actually worried about this. And it might be completely unrelated, but you just haven't allowed yourself to work that out, or process that. It's um, It's really powerful. Yeah. And are there any other things, any other daily things that you feel help you be your best you? Um, so I walk, I walk loads. So I, I try and have, I try and have as many like meetings on the phone that I, that I can. So not always on zoom. And if I can, and I'll say to someone, well, would you, will you be happy if I'm walking on this call? Like, before we book it in and then I just sometimes you have an hour of zoom call in an hour you can do close to 10,000 steps so for me like doing that getting out with the dog 
I do a lot of yoga. So I do yoga about four, probably about four or five times a week. Um, and I skateboard once or twice, uh, which is, that was me kind of reconnecting with my kid and doing something that I loved before I played rugby. And I've absolutely loved getting back into that. Cool. Yeah, I think playing is is so important and we lose that when we, mm. I've found anyway myself, yeah, I'm literally had the thought of going back playing Gaelic football just recently. It's like a sport, an Irish sport that I played growing up before rugby probably or mm. around that time as well and loved it. Just like, you know, just loved yeah. it. And I found that, you know, I go to the gym now and, I, you know, I stretch and I have have done yoga in the past and. I'm doing to go to the sauna and I'm doing all these different things that I enjoy, but um, that kind of play, I think we need that play, that free play. Mm. Yeah, no, I, 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 I couldn't agree with you more. I think I did a lot of that, that. These are the exercises that I should be doing. And I'm always really wary when I say should. <laughs> and that was for me was continuing to go to the gym, starting to do CrossFit running loads like they were things that were okay like kind of enjoyed them but then finding yoga and skateboarding again it's a bit like the the coaching it doesn't feel like coaching doesn't feel like work those don't feel like exercise and I think that's something that athletes can really tap into that you don't have to continue training in the way you trained for the last 15 years because you're no longer needing to perform at a high level you could find an exercise or sport that you really really love because it really doesn't matter what that is anymore. The most important thing is that you love doing it. Yeah, for sure. And it is enjoyable then when you do step away not having to lift so heavy and, you know, be sore all the time. And it's like, I still enjoy <laughs> going to the gym, lift weights, but just you don't have to be beasting yourself all the time, you know? Whereas when I stopped, at first I was yeah. continuing to do that and I was like, oh, just don't need to. Yeah, it's nice to be able to sit down on the toilet and not have doms. <laughs> yeah, not be sore for two, three days. Yeah. Well, cheers, Sam. Thanks so much for your time. Been unreal chatting. And where can people find you? You mentioned LinkedIn. Where is, is that the best place for people to connect with you? Yeah, so if you just find me on LinkedIn, um, Sam Smith, I don't have a website because I'm kind of enjoying building this business in a slightly unusual fashion. So I'm literally everything, everything on, for me is on, is on LinkedIn. And then, yeah, if anyone is interested in talking to me about coaching, I do a, um, offer everyone a free 90 minute coaching session with the view that we're going to go into, we have a massive insight. And if we then both feel like we want to work together, we can discuss that, but it is genuinely a, a conversation for you to to make some steps forward and if you're interested in that you can email me on sam at this is the changing room.com and i'd love to hear from you that'd be cool brilliant and i'll link your linkedin in the show notes as well cheers awesome thanks mate Cheers for listening into the pod today. If you're new to the pod, welcome. Be sure to check out some earlier episodes and subscribe wherever you're listening so that 
you get the new episodes when they're released. In my mid-twenties, I began studying the mind, and that led me to playing the best rugby in my life, and enjoying it so much all the time, like regardless of results. Whereas when I was younger, there were highs and lows, and it felt uncertain, like I was on a roller coaster. But then, when I began developing and harnessing my mind, it felt like I'd absolutely cracked the code. Now I work one-on-one with players, and yes, I help you overcome challenges, and we do mental skills work so that you can consistently perform at your peak. But I also help you expand your mind and grow as a person. You know the way you often feel like you have more in you, you have more to express, you have more to bring, and it kind of gets frustrating when, yes, you're getting some results, but you know you have more inside you. I help you bring that out. Every single player that I've worked with one-on-one for over 12 months has made a team that they didn't think they could make in that time and or signed a new increased contract that way more than covered the investment that they made in themselves for the one-on-one coaching. If you're a player or coach and would like to learn more, head over to offfieldrugby.com now and book your free 30-minute Zoom consultation with me. Through this podcast, I want to help millions of people live happier, more fulfilled and more successful lives because I absolutely know that it's possible. If you want to be an absolute legend now and help me out, there's three things you can do. First is to share the pod. You can send it on some friends, share it on social media, and simply just tell people about it. Second, you can leave a rating and a review wherever you're listening now. On Apple Podcasts, when you click into the pod, you can scroll down and there's an option to leave a review and up to a five-star rating. And on Spotify, when you click into the pod, on the left-hand side, you'll see a little star. You can click on that and then leave up to a five-star rating again. And third thing, lastly, just make sure you're subscribed wherever you're listening. Those three things, sharing the pod, leaving a rating and a review, and subscribing, really, really help the podcast grow. Helps us help more people. So thank you so, so much. Please connect with me over on social media. Instagram is at Brian Moylet, at Offfield Rugby. LinkedIn is Brian Moylet. And any thoughts, questions, feedback, please let me know. I would love to hear from you. Thanks, Emil, for listening today. I really, really appreciate it. Be good to yourself, get after it, and I will see you next week. Cheers.